Hello, I'm Charles Wright, and welcome to the Complete in Christ podcast, where we endeavor to fit the pieces of our lives together according to the Word of God. We're continuing our study of the book of Colossians, asking the question, is Christ enough? Recall that the Colossian church was caught in a crosswind of cultures and influences and had started to doubt that Christ was truly enough to handle all of the concerns of their lives. As a result, they began to add beliefs and practices from these outside influences to the gospel of Christ they had first believed in. In today's episode, we'll be looking at Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 through 14, discussing the effect the gospel should have on a believer and how that manifests itself in his or her life. So let's get to it. Now, in verse 9, Paul revisits his earlier line of thought from verses 3 and 4, namely their prayers for the Colossians. Reading from verse 9, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul's prayers for this community of believers in Colossus wasn't for prosperity, it wasn't that their every need be met, or that their lives be trouble-free. But he and the other believers that were with him prayed constantly that the Colossian believers would be filled with the knowledge of God's will as it pertained to spiritual wisdom and understanding. You see, what we will understand later on in the letter, but Paul already knows as he is writing the letter, is that the Colossians appear to be dealing with two issues that are born out of their Jewish Greco-Roman context that we talked about early on. On one hand, they are starting to believe that they need to add works and rituals and practices to make their salvation complete. And on the other hand, they are starting to fear the effect that evil spirits can have on their lives. And we can infer from Paul's prayer that the reason that the Colossians are susceptible to these two things is because there is a fundamental misunderstanding of God's will as it pertains to their spiritual lives. In short, they are misunderstanding the nature of their salvation and the completeness of the work of Christ on the cross. And they are misunderstanding also that their spiritual covering and their protection that is now afforded to them by God through the Holy Spirit. And this brings me to a question that we all need to ask ourselves. Have we asked God to give us wisdom and understanding regarding our spiritual life in him? Or are we just kind of winging it? kind of following the latest spiritual fads and philosophical concerns of the day. Paul goes on to let the Colossians know that the prayers that are being prayed for them aren't general and generic. They aren't catch-all and casual prayers, but there is a specific outcome that is being prayed for. First, Paul says in verse 10 that a that at a high level, these prayers are being sent up so that the Colossians may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. That's the headline. That's the the main thought and the point of the prayer. In effect, Paul is saying, look, because you aren't operating according to God's will as it pertains to your wisdom and your understanding of spiritual matters, your walk, the way you are living your life 
isn't worthy of the Lord. It isn't up to his standard and he isn't pleased with it. Oh yeah, he still loves you, but he doesn't like what you're doing. You're still his child, but the relationship is strained. You're not representing him well, and he's not happy about it. Paul continues, and it's as if he says, Colossians, I know there are a lot of opinions. There are a lot of doctrines and a lot of philosophies and a lot of ideas and worldviews swirling around you. So I don't want you to be confused, and I don't want to leave it up to you to define what it means to walk worthy of the Lord and to please him. So I'm going to give you a list. And Paul starts off and says, look, first in this list is bearing fruit in every good work. This sounds like going out and doing good deeds, but instead, I think we should direct our attention to the words of Jesus in John chapter 15, verse five, when he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who abides in me and I in them, they bear much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. And so I think that this is more of a call for believers to abide, to remain, to stay, to continue in Christ. And then by default, our lives will bear fruit. It's not a call to action to go out and start doing good deeds as much as it is a call again to reside and to remain and to abide in Christ. Remember the context that we're dealing with here for this Colossian church is that uh, there is a temptation, right, to move out and to grab hold of some other philosophies, some other doctrines, some other ways of thinking. And so Paul tells them to remain, to stay in Christ so that they may produce and bear fruit in every good work. Second, Paul says, uh, is that uh, these things that are marked, should mark their lives is increasing in the knowledge of God. Enough cannot be said about this. There is a general lack of biblical knowledge among the people of God. And, and I'm not talking about being able to translate Greek and Hebrew and knowing the difference between biblical and systematic theology, but I'm just talking about knowing for yourself what thus saith the Lord just spending time in God's word for yourself. And because of the disinterested um, attitude that the so-called people of God have for the word of God, we no longer speak truth to the world. But instead, we begin to accept as truth what the world speaks to us. I mean, think about it. If, if you don't know what your Bible says, then anybody can tell you just about anything about the Bible that you claim is is God's word to you. And we cannot fool ourselves into thinking that we love God if we don't want to spend any time with God learning about him. Third, in verse 11, Paul says, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Simply put, 
This is about how we move through trials and tribulations. Are we relying upon ourselves? Are we relying upon our own strength, on our own strategies, on our own methods and resources? Or are we looking to the one with all power to strengthen us so that we may endure, so that we may be patient with all joy, as James 1 and 5 says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Lastly, verse 12, Paul says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. A life that is worthy of the Lord and that pleases him is marked by thanksgiving. Not that everything in your life is exactly as you want it, Not that you are healthy, not that you are financially fit and debt-free, not that you are happily married or singled and satisfied, but thankful and grateful that God has made it possible for you and I to share in the inheritance of the saints. Hmm. This brings me to another question of just self-reflection. Are you walking in a manner worthy of the Lord in a way that is pleasing to him? Does your life echo and reflect the claim of faith that you make? Is it evident from how you live that you bend the knee before Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Finally, in verses 13 and 14, We have here what I believe is a restatement of the gospel in really three aspects. Looking at verse 13, first we see that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Now, get a little bit wonky here, but in the Greek it reads, He has rescued us from the authority of darkness. Key words being rescued and authority. When we think about rescue, right, it lets us know that we needed help, right? There is no need for a rescue unless you are in danger. We were in a situation where we could not do for ourselves what needed to be done. And this word in the Greek, it carries with it the idea of drawing to oneself, of of reaching out and bringing into oneself that that is needing to be rescued. So the picture being painted, I think, by Paul in his letter is of God reaching out to us. He didn't throw us a life preserver. He didn't reach out a pole. He didn't point us to the shore, but he reached out to us and he drew us to himself. He rescued us out of the sin-sick situation that we were in, a situation that we were powerless to do anything about. The next focus keyword in this verse is authority. Now, this lets us know that we weren't just in the wrong place at the wrong time. We hadn't just kind of lost our way and, and just maybe hit on some tough times, but we were under the authority of darkness. I know we don't like to think about it like that because we like to think of ourselves as basically being, you know, pretty good people okay kinds of folks and and just kind of a little bit rough around the edges and then Christ kind of came and dusted us off a little bit and just kind of put us back on the right track. 
But we need to have a very clear-eyed, sober-minded view of our state before accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And that is that we were under the authority of darkness. It, It actually follows that if prior to accepting Christ as our Lord and Savior, we weren't obviously under his authority, so then we had to be under the authority of something else of some other power, of some other entity, of some other kingdom. (laughs) And what Paul lets us know is that we were under the authority of darkness. We were in bondage. What sin manifested in the desires of our flesh and told us to do, we did it. We didn't hesitate. We didn't ask questions. We didn't stop to contemplate. And if we did stop to contemplate, it wasn't because we were contemplating the the righteousness of the action. It was more we were weighing the consequences of the action. Do I think I can get away with it? What would be the the harm to myself if I I did it and I got caught, if somebody found out? Those are two different uh, reasons to, to give pause to acting out in our sinful desires. There's there's one that says, oh man, this goes against God's law. There's another that says, I don't want to be caught. And what we see and what Paul lets us know as he continues in this verse is that God has transferred us from that kingdom, from that domain of darkness. He's transferred us out of the authority of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Now, the Greek verb for transfer here has in its root the verb that means to put or to place. God rescued us from the authority of darkness. He reached out and drew us to himself, and then he placed us. He put us in the kingdom of his beloved son. If you can't see it clearly here or or get it kind of just from the reading and reflecting on this, this is liberation imagery. This is language that paints in the mind of the reader that the captives have been set free. This is, to pull on kind of an Old Testament trope, this is let my people go imagery. Hmm. Paul goes on to say in verse 14 that in Christ. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And finally, right, in this beloved son that God has rescued us out from the domain of darkness and placed into the kingdom of, in this beloved son, we have been redeemed. Here, redemption is equated with forgiveness of sins. In other words, we have been liberated. We have been set free because a payment was made on our behalf. We were redeemed. Hmm. Christ's death on the cross, it redeemed you and it redeemed me from the penalty of sin and death. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Complete in Christ podcast. Again, my name is Charles Wright, and until next time, be blessed.